everyone, and thanks for tuning into this podcast from the Connecticut Certification Board. The CCB is a not-for-profit workforce development organization whose mission is to protect the public by enhancing recovery-oriented workforce capacity. The opinions expressed here are solely those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the agency or its board of directors. My name is Jeff Kwame, Executive Director of the CCB, and I'm your host. My guest today is Murphy Jensen, co-founder and executive vice president of business development for We Connect Recovery. We Connect is an addiction relapse prevention and real-time outcomes data platform providing customer support and connection for those in recovery from substance use disorders. Many of you will remember Murphy as a professional tennis player, but not just any player, a former French Open doubles champion, along with his older brother, Luke, and is currently head coach of the Washington Cats World Team Tennis. But then again, not just any coach, one with multiple World Team Tennis Championships and multiple Coach of the Year awards. Among the many that he has coached are both Serena and Venus Williams, you may know who they are, Martina Hingis, Leander Pays, Victor Azarenka, Francis Tiafo, and many more. Murphy works tirelessly to reduce the stigma associated with substance use disorders and to encourage and lead others with the disorder to receive proper care. His passion is to bring addiction and leave behind a legacy of helping others. It's been stated that he played tennis with a football mentality. As a matter of fact, I think he said it. And it's safe to say he approaches his recovery and his work in the professional space of the field in the very same way. Welcome to the show, Murphy. Hey, Jeffrey. It's great to be here. Man, honor and a privilege to be anywhere today. Uh, going through the ringer like I did back in the day. So, which is a great place to start. Um, you know, most people knew, you know, about your success at the French Open and then got, you know, snippets from the media about kind of what happened afterwards up until the, the you know, intervention in the, on the Sunset Strip in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Want to carry us a little bit through, through that timeline? Well, I mean, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm in northern Michigan and uh, grew up in an athletic-minded house, um, competed in sports from the from the get-go. Um, dad was a professional football player for the New York Giants, and he discovered the game of tennis after the, his football days and became a high school coach, and he both parents were educators, and uh, he... He built a tennis court in our backyard. And uh, the next thing you know, and he didn't build us a tennis court to be tennis players. He thought it'd be great for our footwork for, for football. And cut to start playing some tennis tournaments and start winning some tennis tournaments. And by 1987, I was on my way on a full scholarship to the University of Southern California, which was like going to Mars from a Christmas tree farm in Northern Michigan. Um, I, I want to say, and I, and I bring it back, you know, you start with the French Open, but I bring it back to the beginning. Um, I grew up in uh, an alcoholic house. Uh, dad suffered from alcohol use disorder. And when I was probably eight or nine, uh, maybe 10, he was, he went away for 30 days. And I didn't know why. Where's dad? And he came back, and and uh, he never drank again. And prior to that, uh, it, it was it was a scary environment. He would leave uh, for Detroit on a Thursday or a Friday after school, and come back on a Sunday. The reason I mention that is because it it's it's important to know where I came from. 
and and how I got to where I'm at today. And at the same time, I bring that up because had he not found the rooms of recovery or found his own recovery path, uh, no tennis career would have been made possible. Dad was showing up. Dad was posting up. Dad was present. Dad was being dad. Dad gave me the things I needed to be to uh, to grow up, which is uh, the security came back, approval, affection. Um, and as he, you know, he died a few years ago, um, and he he was the one guy that knew that the party had stopped. It wasn't just like, you know, a young boy uh, going out in high school and having beers on the weekend. And um, he knew by my professional days as a professional tennis player that the party was over and that it had crossed the line from something that someone does recreationally or uh, socially to, um, to a problem with consequences mm-hmm. and that I was, uh, I was, uh, a dying young boy on the inside. Um, so following my USC days, um, or during my USC days, um, I felt the feelings of, um, I was really far away from home, loneliness, depression, um, not fitting in or not measuring up, not feeling like I was enough ashamed to call home to say I was playing four or five or six on a, uh, you know, as a freshman, I, you know, it wasn't an ego thing that I should have been playing higher because everybody on my team, we were the best in the country and everybody on the team was the best in the country Mm -hmm. at one point in their junior careers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was comparing where I was, I was always measuring up against my brother my brother Luke had gone to USC and then he had turned pro and I had come in and, and he had great success as a freshman and sophomore, but we came in at different circumstances. He got to come in with a team where he could come and play in the top three on the team. And I came in on a team that was 45 and O that was, everyone was world class. And uh, my outside of my brother and another guy on the team, everybody stayed. So I was I was battling for my life and 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 those feelings are important for anybody in recovery and especially I can speak to mine um, is that's when my alcohol use and my drug use actually took off. Mm-hmm. I had never been exposed to cocaine before and that's where I was exposed to cocaine and and it worked for literally one minute and then it didn't work. Uh, that's a bad drug. Uh, I've now no <laughs> you know so <laughs> and then cut to i leave usc because i was um destroying myself physically uh, mentally and emotionally and i didn't even know it i yep. knew physically i was hurting myself and if i had any chance of being a professional tennis player i needed to leave the, that environment so it was my first geographical and turning pro a year later um within a couple of years my brother and i were the best in the world um the funny thing about that, sitting in the locker room after winning the French Open, it's not like team sports where you see Tom Brady and his team going bananas in their champagne. You're actually by yourself. It's just you and the other guy, and it's a yeah. lonely locker room. At the beginning of a Grand Slam, 
there's 300 people in the locker room, by the end, it's just you and the locker room attendant and a bunch of towels. Um, and I remember my hand shaking. And the reason for that was my insides did not match my outsides. What I mean by that is I still had those feelings of less than, not enough, not measuring up at a point where I was the best in the world in that moment. Mm-hmm. So how I coped with those feelings in college hadn't gone away because I had no tools and no design for living and, and um, to, to, to recognize those feelings when they came up. And, you know, I, I want, I think now knowing what I know now and what I've been jamming on lately is I, my understanding of my need to fit in, you know, to fit in. And, and being the best in the world at something or having success financially or popularity or whatever, I never fit in more my whole life, yet I didn't fit, feel like I fit in. And mm-hmm. I actually had this fear of being found out. If you knew what was going on inside my head, it's just like a relationship. I used to have that with girlfriends. I never got too close in my relationships because I if you knew what I don't see what you see. I don't love what you love. And I don't know why. And it wasn't until I crash landed in Los Angeles after the maybe 99 US Open, where instead of a hotel manager calling the police, I still, Rod G, I'll call him. I doubt he's in the program, but he, um, he asked me if I'd be willing to see an interventionist. And that interventionist, um, a hotel manager calling an interventionist. How progressive is that? Yeah. 1999. And um, I think the and I was really, I was beat. I was broken. And um, I was in the throes of my addiction, drinking and using for day, weeks on end, locked in a hotel room. And, and I, <laughs> what I do remember is I knew I was dying in that moment and this this man which is really cool um for me at the time is i think i think in my in the fog i i think he was an interventionist for um a really big band out of boston that uh and if you're from boston you know big bands you know what i'm talking about but several of those guys are in recovery and just a couple of years ago, somebody, one of the members had to leave the tour. They supported him to go into rehab. He had a, a yeah. very big issue with opioids, but he's back out on the road with them. I saw him last time. Yeah. And I think he's back in recovery. Yeah, He's doing great. So with that said, that little, little, little caveat in my fog and he asked me if I'd be willing to do a detox, go to detox. Can I pick you up tomorrow? And I, for some reason I said, yes. You know, and I think I knew, I knew that I, I, I was um, in a place where I was incapable of helping myself. And, um, and, and that place wasn't when my life ended now knowing it's when my life began and I show up at this uh, detox and I go through that, and then Dr. Murphy, of all doctors, asked me <laughs> if I'd be willing to do this sober living. Here I'm coming from a five-star hotel, and he asked me to live in a sober living in Culver City. And, I mean, I don't know about 
anybody's story, but that's sober living. And I said, yes. And that's sober living. I felt so good. I was around my people. I was around guys like me that felt like me, hurt like me, and we were totally different, yet exactly the same. And we had the same thing in mind was we, we were sick dudes. And, um, and that literally was the foundation of uh, what was, what is to be my recovery journey. And then, um, you know, I was starting over and I'd ask my, um, what was he called? The house manager who I'm still friends with today, 21 years later, if, um, if I could go play the Australian open or, and he's like, no problem. Just don't drink and use in between, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I was going to support group meetings with my dad in Australia and Italy and, and France and um, unbelievable. And I'm not saying that I didn't have uh, any hiccups since then. I mean, I had a relapse uh, three and a half years in from that um, mm-hmm. relapse event that damn near killed me. Um, and so, um, but that relapse event, I didn't understand the severity of the situation. And I don't think many of us early on do like, and, and my, my brain and my emotions and my, my mindset, a lot of it had to be rewired. I wasn't as good as I thought I needed to be. I didn't need to be that good. I wasn't as shitty or as bad. Sorry for the language. That's okay. I was. And, um, and I love the fact this thing being, I've heard this expression, another bozo on the bus. You know, I'm just another bozo mm. on the bus. Some, there's something powerful in that for me. Yeah, I understand. I've talked too much. No, that's okay. But as we had our conversation a couple of weeks ago, the idea of not being good enough, as it's crippling. Um, Because no matter what you're doing and you're doing something well, I struggled with the same thing saying, oh, my God, if they find me out, the run is over. The good stuff is over. Uh, And it was really being my own worst enemy. It was was retraining my brain. Yeah, it's... um... Fear is a four-letter word, you know, yeah. and in that fear of being found out or fear, and and it could be not. It does nothing. What you're saying, am I hearing you correctly? Is that fear of being found out isn't just about being found out about drugs and alcohol, which is a huge fear as a mm-hmm. public person and mm-hmm. professional tennis player, because the jigs up. My career is in the toilet. They may suspend me or ban me from the game. Who in the heck knows? Right. But the found out, which is if others knew how, how as much as, you know, that not enough thing, you know, is a, is a powerful thing. Yeah. And I wasn't concerned about somebody finding out my mental health disorder. I was more concerned about them finding out what was inside me. And what I was feeling and thinking, like as if they could read. Um, And it could be something just as simple as being a little kid and getting my paper route done early and feeling good about that, but then feeling, oh my God, there's something I missed. I didn't do something right. So I wouldn't allow myself that, that normal everyday kind of, okay, you did your paper, now go to school kind of stuff. It would torture me, but well, I, 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 
I think the homes we grew up in and the, the experiences we have either on the playground and our homes that we grew up in, the, all those things, if there's any trauma or fear or anxiety, you know, if we don't have, if we're not taught to express ourselves or be vulnerable or be able to communicate with our moms and dads. And, you know, something I'm really grateful for is that I'm able to be vulnerable um, with my, with my 20 year old. And I'm able to express to him that I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little scared, you know, and and he's able to express with me. And, you know, that's, that's rich. That's rich for me today. And I think from our era and children, and we're about the same age, that wasn't common in families at the time either. Even in fairly healthy families, people weren't having a discussion on their fears and things like that. It just didn't. Yeah, I, I, we, if you think about um, Vince Lombardi or General Patton, you know, it's the, such attitude. I believe that we do have control over our attitudes and stuff but but sometimes our perceptions but what what about what if our perception of what's going on is completely the opposite of what's going on then i don't have control over it you know if i think the sky's falling yet it's not or whatever if i see this and it's that and that's where I got some clarity that's what my recovery journey has given me mm. some clarity of what's actually happening I can create a reality I'm not even in. And I don't know if you can identify <laughs> with that. I can be escaping and running from the feds, from the everybody's after me. <laughs> Where the heck did that come from? And I think it does come from childhood trauma to some extent. And I don't even have to know what the, you know, when you go to see a doctor, they say, hey, and I say, my elbow's shot and it's killing me. They say, did you fall on it? No, I just woke up. And did, did you, can you tell me when and where did you hit it against something? No, man. And that's kind of like this is like I had this stuff going on on the inside and I couldn't tell you of, a, of an event. And I don't have to. I realize I don't have to, but I need to share yeah. and get that out with, a, with somebody. And the yeah. reality is with substance use disorders, trauma is almost always at the very underneath driving it. It's a very common thing that drives the substances are really the symptoms of how somebody's responding to the underlying trauma. You know, you can get sober, but if you don't do the work to work on yourself, you become my stepfather, a dry drunk. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I Which was miserable. Absolutely right, and I and I think there is. If this was, if if my recovery journey was just not about only offered me abstinence, let's just say from drugs and alcohol, and that's it. I don't know if I would be staying stopped. Um, because I've done some of that other work, I've done a lot of the, uh, that other work, and I continue to do that other mm. work, and more gets revealed. And it's like the unpacking or the clear, cleaning house of a, you know, you know ever, ever travel with too much luggage? I've been traveling with such a... <laughs> 
85 suitcases and now they're charging at the airport for extra bags and I can't afford, <laughs> can't afford the freight. It's a metaphor for life right there, actually. So now, <laughs> you know, I show up because security is tougher in life and I got flip flops and swimming trunks and I don't have to take off my shoes anymore to go through security. I'm, I'm, I'm a little lighter than I was yeah. 20 years ago. Now, we had talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago as well about, you know, kind of this, what we're dealing with, with the coronavirus and, and the quarantine, stay-at-home orders, whatever it may be. And you said something to me that I thought was interesting and I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. It's that your process of recovery prepared you to deal with the things that are happening around us better than most. We, we, the struggles that you've experienced and if you've struggled before, this is almost provided you're still working kind of a piece of cake to handle yeah i mean i'm a day at a time guy mm -hmm. and this is a day at a time time absolutely you know, that we're living in and so having had that practice um over the years um has definitely made it easier and when someone says to me or if i'm complaining about my day you know Scott G will say, compared to what? Compared to what? Compared to that hotel room in Los Angeles with the interventionist or the detox and the, you know, the mess, um, the, the physical abuse that drugs and alcohol, you know, the beating I took from drugs and alcohol, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually in my case. Um, and you know, we are, if we have a recovery path of whatever path, um, we definitely have a leg up. Um, the, the, the people that um, I, I pray for or I, that's on my heart is someone new in recovery. Mm -hmm. What a, imagine six weeks ago, I'm being shot out of a detox and I'm saying there's no support group meetings. There's no this, there's no that you got to go home to the scene of the crime. Right. I couldn't sit in my skin early in recovery. I was, you know, not just physically, but you know, I was lost. I had to check out of the here and now at all costs. Yeah. And for me to read, I was reading 500 miles an hour. You know, it, <sighs> today I can breathe. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think we have a really great, thank God it's not 1984. We have these computers. We have these meetings. I can see you right now in a Zoom meeting. Yep. And plug in, stay connected. Um, and I think what we're going to find is that technology is not just for substance use disorder or behavioral health is, is going to be the future, a key component to the future of uh, healthcare for everybody yeah. um, because of the convenience, the convenience. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I can, I can just plug into you, FaceTime you and say, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm having a rough day. Telehealth, you know, the company that um, I co-founded is, is absolutely 
become essential uh, in the times we're living in. Um, you know, I've heard that addiction, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. What better way to connect than, you know, we're already addicted to these phones. Let's use them. It's oh God, I'll call my son. And then when he doesn't answer, I'll get a text back in two minutes. He says, what do you want? You know, yeah. he's 25. That's his, that's his milieu for, you know, millennials. That's what they do. Yeah. Well, that's a different deal, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, talk about uh, now we need to find how to practice vulnerability within the text world. You know, text message vulnerability. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will figure that out. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Let's talk a little bit about what We Connect Recovery does because you guys got in this very early in kind of the game and are, from my opinion, from what I see, the preeminent recovery support app. There are others that others are getting involved, but you guys were one of the first, if not the first, to get involved. Tell me what the app does. How does it well, help folks? We Connect is a digital health care solution for substance use disorder, any mm -hmm. substance, any and all, and pretty much any addiction. Um, it's a patient-facing mobile application and addresses the primary causes of relapse, which is lack of accountability to the care plan. Mm -hmm. When someone leaves treatment, they're handed a piece of paper, do these 10 things for the rest of your life and good luck. We digitize that care plan. It's in the palm of your hand, similar to Waze. Yep. You know, when you're driving, you put in Waze the directions and the coordinates. This is what we're, this is the care plan. And I get off track is the second component. We have a clinical data dashboard. And that data dashboard is, is used by the clinicians, the counselors, the case managers, your house manager at a sober living home or the treatment center. And the key stakeholders in your recovery have uh, keeps me accountable to that care plan, or makes the uh, uh, addresses the appropriate changes. The last last two pieces of it are the peer recovery support specialists, the recovery coaches, mm -hmm. and that is in the last I would say six months um, is when we started the peer services. So that's the third leg on the stool. As first is the patient facing mobile application, the clinical data dashboard, which shows a risk score, who's at risk. And we can now use the data to find out why. And then the third one is the peer services. And lastly is the virtual online support group meetings. And within the last six weeks, more than 100,000 people have attended those meetings. Yeah. Uh, technology will never substitute human connection but it can bridge that gap I, I i don't want to overuse the word bridge but i'm a facetime freak i'm a shameless facetimer <laughs> there's something about seeing your face jeff you know and and exposing my face mm -hmm. i would share jeff i'm really grateful today and jeff will say murphy why don't you tell your face that you know, because it's not looking too grateful. I'm mad. I'm irritable because, you know, Jeff, we've got to know each other in the last few weeks. And, um, but you know me. You might even know me better than I know me. <laughs> you know? So, you know, and that's where, um, you know, we connect my co founder, Daniela Tudor. 
and she's the CEO of the company. She uh, built dev teams and whatnot. I think what makes We Connect Health Management is special and unique is the fact that we are technologists, data scientists, and developers, and uh, smart people. We're also uh, the company has a balance between a lot of people in recovery from mental health, you name it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you have the people that are doing all those things. And collectively, we can agree on a mission. And we are a very mission-driven company. And it's always been my dream to... Uh, I wish I had had a tool like this when I got shot out of Hazleton. I wish I had a tool like this when I got shot out of my third, fourth treatment center. The relapse rates are 85% or so in the first year. How is that an acceptable standard? Are knee surgeries, you know, that high? You know, so I understand we're dealing with uh, an obsession of the mind, an allergy of the body, but, you know, knowing what I know now, You know, if I had the piece of paper, that piece of paper might be used to 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 drop the next line of cocaine for Murphy, right? As opposed to something that gets me plugged in to support, and through the next five seconds of the day, because sometimes it comes down to my early recovery days. I'm on my way. I'm come, hey Johnny, I'm coming over. Yeah. You know, and I can't cope with these feelings, but with to have all this support and connection in our phones, where, you know, and it's and it's tailor-made. It's like Instagram spot on for people <laughs> in recovery. There's an interesting thing with this. Um, as being someone who kind of surveys the field and looks at all, there had been some issues in the past in two camps, right? The, the science-based and the brain science, and then the, the the recovery communities, which focused more on interpersonal connection thing. And what you do is you recognize that they're both important, yep. and we connect the app, puts it all together. So you have the data, the science-based stuff there that's important, but also you all have the ability to connect with a coach and have that human connection, which really I think is most important, but you're putting it all together instead of saying, we choose this side. And our field chooses a side often. Yeah, and I think what we really are driven for is we connect isn't, it's for any pathway to recovery, any and all pathways. So that treatment plan, if mine is medically assisted treatment, if mine is 12-step, if it, no matter what the path is, is it church recovery, refuge recovery, it doesn't matter what the recovery path is. Mm-hmm. It is a framework to support your pathway of recovery. And uh, the recovery coaching is a game changer. It's a game changer. And now we become an end-to-end solution to get Murphy to day 365 because it's the data shows that if I can get to day 365, my, the chances of a relapse episode with my drug of problematic use, you know, decreases 60, 70%, you know? Um, so, you know, it's exciting. And, and I'd love to see people in my part of the world, in the East coast 
have more access to it or have more knowledge of it, which reminds me, the CCB is doing a conference in September. We Connect would be a great sponsor. Let's do that's, it. That's my sales pitch. <laughs> now that I got you. Um, but I, Murph, I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate um, you. And I look forward to continuing to talk offline in the future and 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 staying tight. Listen, um, thanks for your time today and hang in there and stay safe with all this. Yep. Have a blessed day. And I, uh, my heart goes out to anyone uh, hurting right now. Speaking of COVID-19, um, you know, hang tough, everybody. Thank you. Until next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.